listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I thought on this Breakthrough Friday, one of the things that would be great to do and talk about um, is how to stay on fire as a Christian. It's kind of like a, it almost seems kind of like a, a, a vague concept. We hear people say it all the time, you know, you got to stay on fire, be on fire. And we hear it referenced, you know, we, we, you know, maybe in church or, you know, I want to be an on fire Christian or, you know, whatever God's looking for on fire people. We hear that all the time. What does it mean? What does it actually mean? And if it's a positive thing, how can we make ourselves or bring ourselves to that place? Be that person. It is a positive thing, by the way. Yeah. And don't be a bum. There's a lot of bums out there. I'm just going to be very honest with you. A lot of bums out there, but we want to talk about that. I mean, there's been a lot said, we've said a lot about being dedicated, being faithful. You've heard me explain um, that the covenant we have, the blessings we have, they're not automatic, that you have to seek the face of God. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, Hebrews eleven six. So he's looking for people that will press in without question, looking for the faithful. Sometimes we'll quote second Chronicles 16, nine, where the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro across the earth. Uh, and he'll give strong support to those whose hearts are loyal to him. So he's looking for that. God's looking for that, looking for people that will, uh, be loyal to him, that will live for him. That'll be dedicated to him and stay on fire. I know that's a term that's, that's used mainly in Pentecostal charismatic circles, but I want to break it down. I want to talk about it. What does it mean to be on fire? You know, I did a video years ago when I was starting to build my YouTube channel. And, um, the, I think the video was called three signs that you're spiritually dead. And, um, I understand that that was kind of titled a little bit incorrectly because, to be spiritually dead means you're not saved. And I, and I understand that via, you know, if you're looking at what the scripture teaches, <laughs> to be spiritually dead is to be unsaved. And I get that. Um, what I was really referring to in the video was people that are like dead Christians, like they're not on fire, like what we're talking about today. They've lost their fire. They've lost their momentum. They've lost their, um, their, their desire, as it were. And so... Uh, all those years ago, I made that video talking about uh, three signs that you're spiritually dead. And I was referencing people that aren't on fire anymore. They've lost their love. They've lost their fire. Um, but, and and there were people that had an issue with it because obviously it does mean spiritually dead. But today I want to deal with that issue because if we're supposed to be people who are on fire, pressed in, you know, completely passionate about what God's called us to do, that doesn't just happen. And I'm sure you know that. And I'm sure 
that you understand and have seen people that maybe they've been saved for a little while and somehow they've lost their fire. They've lost their passion. They've lost their drive. Uh, As uh, Andrew said there, they've kind of turned into religious robots. And that is true. I've seen tons of that. People that clock in and clock out of church, they're going through the motions. I never want to be that person. I never want to find myself in that place. And um, I want to deal with it today. What What are some things that we can do? You know, what are some things that we can do to keep ourselves in a place where we're on fire? That we're on fire. Um, look at this. I want to read to you to start off uh, from the book of Revelation, chapter 2. It's a great place to start because Jesus has shown back up and he's kind of giving warnings and messages to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And um, that's a great, I mean, Fabiola's given a testimony. That was us. And now he's restoring us and blessing us. Amen. And that's the case. God won't leave you, you know, where you are. He's always willing to use you again. People need to recognize that. You've never gone too far where God can't help you, where God won't bless you. Uh, it's just that the responsibility's not on God. It's on us. So we have to take uh, steps in that direction. That's amazing, Fabiola. I saw that testimony. You want me to read it? Can I read it? If you don't mind, because we're giving testimonies about violent increase, expedited favor. I won't give all the uh, all the financial details, Fabiola, but um, <clears throat> listen to this. And I will come by and pray for the house and everything too, Fabiola. Listen to uh, she and her husband's testimony. Uh, they had planted a seed when I was in Michigan and they were closing on their house yesterday. They kept going back and forth with the lender because never got the numbers, how much to take to the closing, all that. And um, he had given me after the fact about a thousand more than what we expected. Um, but she was trusting God that not only would they get the deal done, that they would walk away from the deal with money in their pocket. And uh, so as they were doing it, the uh, the lender called, the loan officer called and said, I don't know how you pulled this off. I guess your uh, prayers are answered. Um, but he said, you don't need to take anything to the closing. Thank you, Jesus. I've never seen this, but you'll be walking away with a check. And so they walked away with their earnest money and another check on top of that. Um, I mean, and there's just, I can keep reading. I mean, there's a bunch of, of parts of this testimony, but literally everything that they've been, uh, praying for everything they've been believing for, for this new house has come to pass plus money in their pocket, plus everything the way they need it and want it. God's blessing. It's violent increase, expedited favor. God will bless us. Our responsibility is to press into his presence. And so congratulations, uh, Fabiola, to you and your husband. That's an amazing testimony. We're rejoicing with you. It's just going to be the rest of this year, violent increase and expedited favor. No question. Heather and Zach are sitting in a new house today. I'm just telling you, it's going to get better and better and better for the people of God. So Jesus shows up and gives a warning to the churches. And I want you to see this. We're in, in the second chapter of Revelation. Um. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, I'm reading the first verse. 
Write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those that are evil. I've tested those who call themselves apostles, and they're not, found them to be false. And I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. But look at this. I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And if not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So I want to show you something uh, that's so supernatural about this passage. First of all, it blows the hyper grace message out of the water because it shows that Jesus was looking at their, <clears throat> at their deeds, their actions, and not looking at them just through the filter of his blood. He actually is not only looking at their deeds, he mentions their deeds and then warns them about their deeds and says he will judge them based on their deeds unless they repent. These are Christians. This is a church. So not only does it, that's it, Pastor Bill Motley said, keep on sowing. Not only does, does Jesus warn them and tell them what they need to do, <clears throat> look what he says, you have abandoned your first love. One translation of this uh, passage says, Jesus speaks to them and says, you don't love me like you once did. Woo. You don't love me like you once did. So repent and look what he tells them to do. Return to the works you did at the beginning. Oh man, now we're getting into this today. Return to the works you did at the beginning. So apparently in the mind of Jesus, it was the works that they did at the beginning that were the proof of their love for him. Now, that's that's a huge thing, and I want you to see it. Hey, Britt, this is a huge, huge point right here at the beginning, so I want to make it very, very clear and let you write it down. Jesus told them to return to their first love and then told them how to do it. He said, do the works you did at the beginning, back when you really loved me, back when you were showing that you loved me. Return to your works that you did at the beginning. Um, and so I want to lead us back to the gospel of John in chapter 14 to compare what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus to what Jesus said in the gospel of John. Now, this is huge. This is one of the big, big reasons that people lose their love. They lose their passion. They lose their fire. Anybody can say they love the Lord, but look at this. Jesus actually says in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them or obeys them, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. So let's, let's break this down. Jesus just told us that the proof that we love him is what we do with his word. Man, put this in the comments. 
the proof that I love Jesus is what I do with his word. That's massive, man. And nobody wants to teach that in 2020. Nobody. The proof that I love Jesus is what I do with his word. That's a bomb to drop. That's a bomb to drop, man. The proof that I love Jesus is what I do with his word. He shows back up in Revelation and begins to talk to the Ephesians. And he said, you don't love me like you once did. You don't love me like you once did. So go back and do the works you did at the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you ever notice that in a marriage relationship, for those of you that are married, that a marriage relationship takes work and it does take work. And when you first start a relationship with somebody, there's that dating phase, what some would call the courting phase. And You're pursuing each other, right? You're pursuing each other. The guy always wants to be seen by the girl in the best possible light. He's always got his best clothes on when he takes her out on a date, smells the best, you know, is on his best behavior, polite, opens the door for her, pays for dinner. The girl always wants to be seen in the best light by the guy. She's always looking fresh. Got her perfume on. I mean, everything's proper. Everything's in its place. Very kind. You know, all this stuff. And then things are happening in the pursuit of the relationship. Maybe there's love letters. Maybe there's long conversations on the phone at night. Maybe there's dates all the time. And one of the things that can happen is if you're not careful, you can get married and just let things kind of fall to normal to where you're not still doing the same things you did in the pursuit phase. So you don't have the same love letters being written. The same dates aren't happening. Um, you know, the same, it's not best foot forward, best behaviors no longer going on. And so what ends up happening is people start to get frustrated. And then that's when you start having the conversation, the conversation, you used to sing me songs. You used to write me letters. You used to stay up all night with me. You, we used to, we were so in love. Well, notice something. Why? Here's the question. Why did they feel like you were so in love? You're still the same person, still the same individual. Why did they feel like we were so in love? The feeling was generated by actions of dedication. Catch this now. The feeling was created. It's not that you feel any different. The feeling was created by actions of dedication. You you understand what I mean? So in the pursuit phase of a relationship, the guy might be taking actions, taking steps, to what does he want? He wants to win that girl's affection. That girl wants to win that guy's affection. So they're taking actions of dedication to win the affection of the other. But notice, 
a lot of people make the mistake of when that relationship is locked up, they feel like, well, that's done. I won their affection and now they're with me. I don't have to do those things anymore. But then they get mad when the feelings of in love aren't there anymore. They get irritated. They feel like, well, the honeymoon phase is over. Well, the honeymoon phase isn't over. It's just that some people don't stay dedicated to creating an atmosphere of romance. This ties in exactly to what I'm teaching today. Some people will not work to maintain the environment and atmosphere of romance because they feel like they've got it now. And so that's not needed anymore. But one of the things we also are seeing is many marriages, even in the church, are coming to an end. They're coming to an end. People are being divorced. You know, people are separating. They're splitting up, broken homes. But one of the things that we have to understand is that we as husbands are commanded to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's an act of dedication. It's a selfless act of love. So that's the same kind of love we're commanded to love our wives with, and wives are commanded to love their husbands and respect them and submit to them. So it takes a discipline of dedication to continue to engender the environment of love And I'm not doing this session on marriage. I want you to understand it ties into your relationship with God. And that's why that Paul uses this analogy in the book of Ephesians to talk about the relationship of Christ and the church, the husband and the wife, because it's the same. It's the same. So you got to understand that when you take those actions of dedication You are creating an environment of romance and love. The proof of your love is in your actions. I want to say that so plainly today. And you need to take a minute to share this because it needs to be heard. Heather says, what you value is what you'll put your time and dedication into. And it's totally true. Your love is shown through your actions, through your actions. Um, There's a very famous book, by the way, that was released by Gary Chapman. It's called Five Love Languages. If you've ever read it, very interesting book because it talks about the fact that not everybody experiences love in the same way, that there are multiple ways people give love and multiple ways they experience love. And the reason it's important to know how your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, experience or feel loved is because you could be taking actions all the time that they that they don't interpret as love. They don't they don't receive love that way. They don't feel loved that way. And so, uh, yes, that's true, Delami. I've taught on that. God has all five. He's the creator, and we are ex- the the experience of His creation. So, you understand that there's acts of service. Some people feel loved when other people's uh, when other people do things to help them, do things to uh, work together with them, acts of service. Some is the giving of gifts. They feel loved when you get them a gift and, and, and buy it for them, wrap it, give it to them, whatever. Some people experience love with quality time. 
They want to spend quality time with you. Words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. So you can look through uh, the different, the five love languages and understand all of the things. Did I miss the fifth one? What's the fifth one? Quality time, giving of gifts, words of affirmation, um, acts of service, and there's one more. I don't know why I'm missing it. Must be the one that I don't count as an act of love. Um, <laughs> I'm just joking. Somebody pop it in if you remember what it is. Oh, yeah, physical touch. No, no, no. I definitely, definitely appreciate that one. Um, physical touch. Um, don't know how I forgot that one. Anyway, all of those five ways, they're different ways people feel loved. Well, notice something. They're all actions. All of those are actions. And you take those actions to show your love. Hey, I, Dennis, I'm with you. Dennis said there's a six love language, food. And I'm down with that. I totally believe it. Um, <clears throat> but understand something, that all of those things are actions. They're all actions. And people feel loved based upon the actions you take toward them. The actions you take toward them. God is the same. Christ actually said it. He said, the people who have my word and obey it are the ones who love me. Those who have my word and obey it are the ones who love me. And so it's all about your actions toward the Lord. That's what I want you to see. It's not enough to just say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh no, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. But none of the actions of your life reflect the fact that you do actually love him. That's why Jesus did not allow us to just simply live with lip service towards our covenant. He said, no, it's going to be the one, the ones who have my word and then obey my word. Love you, Tony. Those are the ones who love me. And so if you're going to stay on fire, if you're going to be a person that is a passionate, active, dedicated, fruitful Christian, it's going to take, as Jesus did, he showed up in Revelation. He looked at the church of Ephesus. He said, you don't love me like you once did. So repent and go back to your original works or actions. Go back to what you used to do. That's when you loved me. Go back what, to what you used to do. That's a good reminder for all of us. Even in our natural relationships, is your marriage feeling stale? Feel, are you struggling with it? Are you feeling like, go back to what you used to do? What did you do, guys, when you won her over? Girls, what did you do when you won him over? Did you let things slide when you were dating or did you nag the heck out of him about every little thing when you were on a first date? I don't think you did. Guys, did you sit around and not prepare yourself? Did you sit around, not help her? Did you sit around, not weren't uh, conscious of her feelings? I don't think you did. When you're dating somebody, everything they talk about is interesting. <laughs> I've joked about that before. <laughs> Eyebrow threading, that sounds amazing. Tell me more about eyebrow threading. When you're dating, everything seems to be interesting. You want to know everything you can know about that person. You stay on the phone with them till late in the, in the early hours of the morning. You know, 
you hang up first. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Are you still there? I'm still here. You still here? I'm still here. You still here? I can hear you breathing. Just weird. You get weird. You get clingy. You're in love. You're in love. And so I want to encourage you. Go back to what you used to do. Go back to your first love. Go back to your original actions. And Jesus is the same. You know, it's interesting when people first get saved and they feel that excitement that their life has been turned around, that their whole life has been changed and that the old life is gone, a new life has come. They get all zealous, man. They start telling everybody about Jesus. They start getting, and it takes some religious person to tell them to settle down, calm down. You need to just calm down and pace yourself. There's always some religious nut job that tries to throw a wet blanket on the fire of a new believer. We need to stay on fire. You need to stay feeling 20 years later like you did at the very beginning. Stay. Keep that fire kindled. Keep that fire kindled. One time I was up in uh, New Brunswick um, in the woods during the winter. It was February. And um, me and a couple of other guys decided we were going to go camping, outdoor camping, um, with just basically a lean-to in the middle of February in New Brunswick. So there was like, you know, foot and a half of snow on the ground, freezing, freezing cold. You know, Fahrenheit, it was probably like 10 degrees, 15 degrees. I don't know what that is in Celsius. And so we got a sled, put all of our gear on the sled. We had a way to build fire. We were good to go. I had my my warmest uh, uh, clothes on my big hunting coat, my hunting pants. I had my base layer of my, I had my Merino wool. I had my, uh, I had my boots on. I was ready to go. We went way out into the woods. Uh, we found a lean to that they had previously built and, uh, got all of our gear under there, kind of put some pine boughs underneath to lay on sleep on that night. And then we built a fire that was kind of around the lean to, to keep us warm through the night. And of course, we had chopped a bunch of firewood um, for the for the whole night. Well, uh, I can remember, you know, with all the stuff I had on, you know, not only just, I mean, I had a lot of a lot of layers. And I'm laying there, we got our sleeping bags, I'm on top of the pine boughs, all that. Lean twos protecting us from the wind, fires going. I was relatively warm to go to sleep, but I can remember <clears throat> waking up in the middle of the night and I was like ice cold. I was freezing. I was freezing, man. And the wind was whipping through the New Brunswick woods. And I look over and the fire has completely died down. The fire has completely died down. I looked over at my partner. One partner was gone. He'd already gone back to the house and was sleeping in a warm room. I look over and the other partner that I had with me was sleeping. He'd fallen asleep. Apparently he wasn't cold enough to wake up yet. So I got up off my sleeping bag and I grabbed more pieces of firewood and I tossed them on top of the fire, stoked it, blew it until the fire kicked back up again, threw some more wood on, and now the fire was blazing again. Notice the fire itself is not an automatic thing. You know, it started off warm, started off nice, and I was able to sleep. I was able to rest. Everything was cool. But then, then as time went on through the night, notice I grew cold because my fire was dying down. 
but that's because fires don't burn forever. You have to add fuel to the fire. Oh, hallelujah. You have to add fuel to the fire. And I had to get up in my own cold state. I had to get up and get the fuel and throw it back on the fire and stoke it and blow it until it was burning again. And every believer is the exact same way. You have to have the fuel and throw the fuel on your own fire, stoke it, let it burn brightly. And anytime you feel like you're receding, you're getting colder, you're constantly pressing in and throwing fuel on that fire. You're constantly pressing in, constantly throwing fuel on that fire. What, what, what causes your fire to start to burn down? And that's what we're going to get into, Elisha. We're going to talk about how you throw fuel on it, how you stoke it, and what you do to get it. Why does our fire start to burn down as Christians if we're new creatures in Christ Jesus? Why is it that we have to deal with this? Why do we have to battle with this um, if we're already new creatures in Christ? Well, let me show you why. There's a war going on. Just like there is in the natural realm, you've got outward forces trying to put out your fire. First of all, the fuel burns down, the wind keeps on blowing, and the fire is being fought against by the natural elements. In the same way, your spiritual fire is constantly being fought against by the natural elements of life. Galatians chapter 5, listen to this. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17. Paul writes to the Galatian church, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time for the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, I was in Ephesians, but that's actually good too. I'm going to break that in. Uh, Ephesians 5.16, make the best use of your time for your days are evil. Now go to Galatians 5. Sorry about that. Galatians 5, um, verses 16 and 17. I say walk in the spirit. Now here's the key. Here's how you make the best use of your time as Ephesians was saying. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 17 is the key. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, you see that fight? The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There it is. To keep you from doing <clears throat> the things you want to do. Why? Why does it say to keep you isn't your body you too? In all reality, it is your spirit man that's really you. Your spirit, who is the real you, lives in a body. You know, your body can die and your spirit's still alive. The spirit is the real you. That's why Paul says it does that to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Your flesh is fighting against you like an external foreign force. Because your flesh is not yet regenerated by the power of God. It will be one day, but it's not yet. 
It's still carnal. It still wants what it wants. And there's a lot of Christians that won't walk by the spirit. They just do what their flesh wants. They do whatever their flesh wants. And so, you know, even in time of fasting and prayer, like we're doing, the flesh doesn't want to fast. The flesh doesn't want to fast or pray. The flesh wants to do what's pleasing to it. And so it fights. It fights hard against the spirit. Why? To keep you from taking love actions toward the Lord. To keep you from obeying his mighty word, which Jesus said is the only thing that proves you love him. What you do with his word. What's the thing in your life fighting against your ability to obey the word to prove you love the Lord? Your flesh. It is your flesh nature, that carnal nature that wants to do what it wants to do. And so we're going to break it down. How do you stay on fire? How do you tell your flesh to shut up? And how do you then take actions that prove you love the Lord? Well, one of the things that we have to recognize is that we've got to take actions from time to time to weaken the flesh. Now, the Bible does tell us that we have, as one of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Now, it's my opinion that self-control is the most important fruit of the Spirit of any of the nine. The reason for that is because all of the fruit of the Spirit, they're not just personality traits, they are actions. Walking in love is an action. And doing it by the Spirit's power is definitely an action. What I mean by that is, how do you walk in love towards somebody you feel like slapping? You see what I mean? Your flesh wants to do one thing, your spirit knows it should do another. So what do you have to employ? Self-control. How do you have joy in a time where you feel like you should be depressed by because of what's going on and everything that we're seeing? How do you have peace when you should be anxious and fearful? Self-control. And self-control is not a self-help message because you can't have it without the Holy Spirit. Because remember, self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. He gives it to you. He gives it to you. So without his help, you can't have self-control. You understand what I'm saying? Without his help, you can't have self-control. So... The point I'm making is this, is that it requires a certain level of Holy Ghost filled self-control to do what the Bible says and to obey the word of God and to put the flesh under. Paul said that he had to do it on a daily basis. It's 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said that I put my body under on a daily basis so that after having preached to others, I myself might not become disqualified. So Paul said, I do it daily. We do have to die to our flesh daily. But there comes a time like we're on now where uh, Jesus said he expected us to take time to fast and pray. So let me just say this. Fasting is one of the quickest ways to kill your flesh. And when I say that, I mean, put it under, to put your flesh under, die to your flesh fasting, not eating food. I don't mean stopping, you know, we're not going to watch movies during this time. I'm fasting movies. I'm fasting Netflix. I'm fasting video games. I'm fasting music. I'm fasting the internet. No, like the Bible says, fasting food, 
It is the quickest way to put your flesh under and tell your flesh to shut up and subdue it and let your spirit man come back and be, uh, you know, in control. And that's why it should be something that we do throughout our life, not one time in our life. That's why the early church, those that were in the first century church, they fasted two days a week, two days a week. So it's because they understood the importance of fasting and prayer. And so I want to encourage you too, that, you know, as we're on this 21 days of fasting, the 11th through the 31st, take some time with us and believe God to fast throughout these 21 days. Maybe you can only do three days here and there, five days here and there. Do what you can do and press in. It puts your flesh under and tells it to shut up and let your spirit man come alive. Amen. But notice it's fasting and prayer. The second thing that keeps your spirit on fire is daily prayer. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 26. I love this passage. Matthew chapter 26, and the Bible says, verse 40, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me for one hour? He was saying, you couldn't pray for one hour? Then notice what he said. Verse 41 is key. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see that? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So one of the things we have to keep in mind is that prayer is an element that keeps us from falling into temptation. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. Prayer is an element that keeps us from falling into temptation. One more time, and I want you to write it in the comments. Prayer is an element that keeps us from falling into temptation. And I want you to write that because it's something that every great man and woman of God I've ever met, talked to, read about, they've all said the same thing. Prayer is an element that keeps us from falling into temptation. You can't be powerful without prayer. It's impossible. You cannot be powerful without prayer. It's part of the fruit. Jesus did it on a daily basis. Jesus did it for extended periods of time. That's why I encourage you, as he was encouraging Peter, take at least an hour a day and pray. Take at least an hour a day. I've heard mighty men of God that are shaking the world, shaking nations. I've heard mighty men of God say, if you don't pray as a Christian for an hour a day, you're not even serious. You're not even a serious Christian. You're not serious about what the Lord wants you to do as a believer. I've heard multiple men of God that are nation shakers say that. If you don't pray at least an hour a day, you're not serious. You're just not serious. And I'm calling you back to times of fasting and prayer, but for sure, praying, being in the presence of God. 
Jesus said, you've got to pray if you don't want to fall into temptation. You know, there's only two reasons that Christians fall into sin. There's not 21 reasons. They're not, they're not 30. Two reasons only why Christians fall into sin. You know what they are? Number one, they don't pray. Jesus just taught that in Matthew 26, 41. Number one is they don't pray. There's only two. That's the first one. The second one is they don't fill themselves with the word of God. David said in Psalm 119, he said, and I believe it's what, verse 105? He said, Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Keeping your life and your heart filled with God's word and staying in prayer are the two main things that keep you free from sin. I think it was Lester Summerall who said that if you'll pray every morning in the Holy Spirit until you feel the power of God come on your body, you'll never backslide. He said if you'll pray in the Holy Ghost every day until you feel the power of God come upon your body, you'll never backslide. It's important that we press into the anointing. I'm just giving you actions from the word of God to stay on fire. This is the practical side. You say, well, that seems pretty simple. If it's, It might be simple to understand, but why are so many Christians not doing it? See, that's the question. I always make this analogy, but <clears throat> understand this. Everybody knows how to lose weight. It's just that very few people actually do it. Everyone knows that the way that you lose weight is you consume less calories than you burn. It's not rocket science. <laughs> or as George W. Bush said, you don't have to be a rocket surgeon. Um, <clears throat> the prayer and the word, they might seem like elements that are simple. But see, it takes discipline and dedication. And many believers just let their flesh do whatever it wants to do. It doesn't feel like praying. Peter's flesh didn't feel like praying, and he was a hand-picked apostle of the Lamb. Think about that. The disciples didn't feel like praying, and Jesus picked them, called them out. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And so it doesn't matter who you are. I'm a, I'm a preacher full-time and have been for two decades. But let me tell you something. I don't feel like praying. My flesh fights back against it. You think just because I'm a, a preacher, a minister, that I'm always like in the mood, oh, I want to pray. I, there are times I do want to pray, but let me tell you something. There's times I don't feel it. My flesh says, no, don't pray. Do something else. Don't pray. Praying, Smith Wigglesworth, Joel Toller, praying in the spirit is our only safeguard from falling back to the natural realm where we receive nothing from God. And he mentored Lester Sumrall. So I want you to think about that. Praying in the spirit is our only safeguard from falling back into the natural realm where we receive nothing from God. Joel, where can that be found? Can we get a mini bibliography? What book can we find that in? I would love to have that. 
because I think I have them all, but if there's something I'm missing, I'd like to have it. Prayer and the word of God are two things that keep us in a place of fire, momentum, power, passion. You know, when you read God's word and get it into your spirit, Jeremiah the prophet said, it becomes like a supernatural source of joy, which we just covered that for two days. What joy does for you fuels your purpose. Jeremiah 15, 16, he said when he uh, devours the word, it's like a supernatural source of joy to him. So that is an avenue in which joy comes into your life, devouring the word of God. And can I just say something to you? If you read a translation of the Bible that you can't even understand, why are you reading it? You know, people get so hung up with a certain translation. If you don't understand what the Bible's saying, Jesus said that's one of the main reasons that the thief can come and steal God's revelation from you. Parable of the sower. He said they don't understand what they've heard, and so immediately the thief comes and steals the revelation of the word. If you don't understand what you're reading, why are you using that translation of the Bible? You've got to understand what you're reading. And so when you read the word of God, it becomes like a source of joy and passion and desire. I saw a really good quote and you know, I don't, I don't always just like things because they rhyme, but sometimes they do rhyme. But I saw this quote online and I'll probably destroy it, but I'm going to try it anyway. And, and, And the quote was this, when we start reading the Bible out of adoration instead of obligation, that's when the breakthrough comes. When we start reading the Bible out of adoration rather than obligation, that's when the breakthrough comes. I read the word because I love the word. I read the word because it is life to my soul, to my spirit, to my body. I read it because it is the fuel for miracles. It's the most powerful element in the universe. You see, I don't read it because I feel like it's my duty as a believer to read the Bible. If you do that, you'll never read the Bible. Never. Never. And so it's because you've got to gain a love for God's word, a love for God's word. And it's, it's important and it's true. Same thing goes for prayer. When you start seeing the benefits of prayer, like what prayer does in your life, it'll blow you away. When you see doors start opening up, when you see miracles start happening and you're pressing in, let me tell you something, it'll blow your mind. Then you'll be like, man, I got to get up and pray. You start to do it because you know God's interacting with you. It's not just empty words that float into the air. Our prayer is not like that. That's what prayer is in a false religion. That's not what it is in ours. Ours is a communion with a living God who actually interacts with his children, has power to change every situation, has nothing to do with just some uh, religious ritual or rite. It is a conversation with a living God. Amen. So I want you to see this. There are actions you can take to stay on fire. I'll tell you another one. Another one 
is by listening and receiving preaching and teaching from anointed men and women of God. It'll set you on fire. Understand, we need each other. They may have revelation of the word you don't have, and most likely they will because they're spending their whole life doing that as their career, their job. You know, I'm not going to be surprised when there's things that mechanics know about cars that I don't know. And be like, how does he know that? How do I not know that about that, you know, carburetor? I'm not going to be surprised when somebody who's given their life to work on cars and study cars and, you know, knows more about cars than I do. It's a given. So we're not going to be surprised when people who give their life to the word of God and preaching and the teaching and the study of the word of God have revelation about it that you don't have. And so when you listen to preaching and teaching from anointed men and women of God, it'll set you on fire. Listen to Ezekiel chapter two. This is Ezekiel's call as the prophet. Verses one and two. And he said unto me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me upon my feet. Hallelujah. And I heard him speaking to me. You see that? As he was speaking to me, the spirit entered into me and set me upon my feet. There's impartation that can happen through the preaching and teaching of God's word. Listen to what Paul said. I'm going to read this to you. It'll set you on fire. When you start seeing this stuff, man, it'll, it will put you in position to do what God's called you to do. Look at this. Acts 20, 32. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Notice what he's saying. The word of grace does that. It builds you up and gives you an inheritance. I can tell you that there's certain preachers I could put them on. I will feel nothing. No anointing. Doesn't matter how great of a communicator they are. I'm not looking for a communicator. I'm looking for a preacher or a, a true teacher, a prophet. I'm looking for somebody that carries the anointing of God. There's some preachers I could put them on. They're popular. They're great communicators, great public speakers. They use great illustrations. They have great graphics, but they don't, I can't feel a thing on their preaching or teaching. Then there's others that I'll pop on and listen to. And it's like a fire burns up in my spirit when they're preaching and teaching. I can feel the gift of faith jump off of their preaching and their teaching. That's why I'm very picky in particular about who I listen to and who I don't because my time is limited. So I'm not going to waste my time trying to listen to all these people that don't have any fire in their belly. Have some anointing. If you're a preacher, be anointed. Be anointed. People are so focused on being a better... um, Thank you, Joel. People are so focused on being a better communicator being more relevant, being more catchy. Those things are all, if you don't have the anointing, you might as well be doing a TED talk because they don't matter. 
It's only the anointing that can change somebody's life. Relevance doesn't change it. Catchiness doesn't change it. A great quote, a great title doesn't change it. I like what uh, Reinhard Bonnke said. Uh, Reinhard Bonnke, before he passed away, he said, bread is always relevant to a starving man. Hallelujah. I agree, Andrew. They're pretty much doing TED Talks now. I want you to put that in the comments. Bread is always relevant to a starving man. Bread is always relevant to a starving man, which means that when you give people the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's bread to a starving spirit. If I'm starving, I've been watching the show on the History Channel alone. I really love watching that show. I really love watching that show. If you've ever seen it, it's called Alone. They take 10 people, put them out in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere. And uh, the last two seasons, they've been in the Arctic in Canada. Put them by themselves. <clears throat> they only allow them to bring 10 items with them, and they have to survive for as long as they can and try to be the last man standing. This season, they're trying to make them stay out there for 100 days, over three months. And um, one thing I, I recognize about these contestants, they go in with one mindset and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to kill some game, going to fish, going to get some food. And if things go south and they're not able to catch fish, if they're not able to, able to snare animals, they're not able to kill game, whatever, they start getting desperate and they start realizing I can't survive without food. So I got to get the pickiness out of my system. I got to eat whatever is edible. I've watched people start eating moss, steaming and eating moss and grass and eating people eating bugs, stuff they would never touch if they weren't on that show and out there in the middle of nowhere by themselves, eating bugs, eating stuff that, you know, you wouldn't want to eat, chewing up moss and swallowing. I mean, like, you know, just trying anything they can try. Why? Because they're starving. You know, when you've lost 40 pounds over the past 40 days, you're starving. And let me tell you something. They start going for anything because they're starving and they're hungry and they'll eat whatever's there. Let me tell you, bread is always relevant to a starving man. And when you're anointed and when you preach the word of God, there are starving spirits out there that need the word of God preached into their spirit. And when you do it with the anointing, they pull it in. They're hungry. I can tell you this. I don't care where I've gone. That's why I don't believe the lie that nobody's interested in the anointing and the, the power of God and nobody wants Jesus. And Anywhere I've ever gone, anywhere, anywhere, I've seen hungry people. When they see the true power of God, doesn't matter what age they are, what ethnicity they are, what country they're from, when they see the power of God that's transformative, they are hungry. They're hungry. And so we've got to be the same. We have to go after it. Fasting, prayer, the reading of God's word, listening to the word being preached. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I stick with people that I know are going to stir my spirit because they've been tried and true. 
I continue to listen to guys like Brother Hagen, Bill Winston, Bishop Oyedepo, Pastor Adeboye, R.W. Shambach, Lester Sumrall, T.L. Osborne. I listen to my father. I listen to my family. My family, and I'm not saying this because I'm biased, but they're anointed. I listen to my uncles. I listen to my cousins. You know, listen to people that are anointed. Let it stir your spirit. The word, Ezekiel said, the word came unto me and set me upon my feet. Paul said, it's, it, the word of God's able to build you up and give you an inheritance. No question about that. Don't just depend on what you can get. Let somebody feed you as well. Fast, pray, read the word of God. Listen to preaching. Win souls. He that winneth souls is wise, the Bible says. When you win souls, it puts a new momentum into your spirit as a believer. Believers who don't win souls get burned out. They get stagnant because everything starts being inwardly focused, inwardly focused, inwardly focused. It's all about me. Where's my blessing? Where's my healing? Where's my miracle? It's all about you instead of letting it be about others. And if you would activate your purpose and go out and bring people into the kingdom, then the other needs would be met. And when you bring people into the kingdom, there's such a joy that comes from bringing people into the kingdom of God. An amazing joy jumps on you. An amazing joy. There's like a feeling of momentum when you start bringing people into the kingdom of God. That's another one. Praising God on a daily basis needs to be done. Needs to be done. I love that Charles Spurgeon quote, put some fire in the sermon or put the sermon in the fire. I agree. Praise God on a daily basis. You enter into his presence. He fills you with joy. He fills you with strength. See, what happens is people treat Christianity like it's some side thing, like it's a hobby, something they do on Sunday morning and maybe on Wednesday night if they feel like going. And that's the only time they get involved with it. They don't make it a daily thing. They don't make it a daily routine. They don't. But imagine what your physical body would look like if you only ever gave it a meal every Sunday morning and that's it. And after you were done eating your Sunday morning meal, you had to wait until the next Sunday morning to eat again. Imagine what your body would look like. Your body would be emaciated if that's how you lived your whole life. It would just fade away to nothing. You ate one meal every week. You'd fade away to nothing. You can't do that with your spirit and expect to be powerful. You have to eat daily. You have to engage daily. You have to pray daily. You got to read the word daily. You have to praise God daily. You got to go after people in your generation daily. Be the light of the world. I'll tell you one that nobody ever wants to talk about that's massive and staying on fire because it's the biggest representation of your whole life. Giving. Giving keeps you on fire. You know why? Because giving is the biggest um, proof of your dedication to God because everything else really can be faked. You can fake and tell people that you pray. You can fake and tell people that you fast. 
I used to fake fasts for years. I'd be like, yeah, we're on the fast. Hallelujah. Then I'd be sneaking to 7-Eleven to get taquitos. Oh, yeah. You can fake fasting. You can fake prayer. You can fake praise. You can lift your hands during the service. You can fake your love for God. You can fake Christianity. You can fake all that other stuff. You can tell people you read the Bible. You can all that. But the thing you can't fake is your giving. (laughs) You can't fake that. That's where the rubber meets the road. And that's where it gets serious because your finances are a representation of your life right? Because when you work and go to your job and get a paycheck, what is that? It is their estimation of what those 40 hours of your life were worth. I realize for some, that's a depressing thought, but think about it. That paycheck is a representation of what the corporation felt 40 hours of your life was worth. So no matter what it is, uh, when you take and tithe, Every single paycheck, you're saying, God, I'm not just giving you 10% of my finances. I'm giving you 10% of my life from that week, right? I'm giving you 10% of my life from that week. Thank you, Joel. Very kind of you to sow a seed. Here's 10% of my life, Lord. When you give and sow seeds above and beyond the tithe, you're saying, Lord, here's my life. That's why... It's the most serious proof because you can't fake it. And although you can fake all the others, an immature Christian will never, ever go that direction in a generous manner as Paul commanded. It just won't happen because what happens is people are more controlled by their finances than they are the spirit of God. It shows you like when you, when you look this, here's something that'll blow your mind. When you look at the life of David, who said, I love the Lord so much that even if I can't build his temple, I'm going to pay to build his temple. And God said, David was a man after his own heart. Think about that. What is the giving? Here's a, here's a question for you. What does the giving of a person who's a man after God's own heart look like? What does that person's giving look like? If God himself said, he's a man after my own heart, I'll tell you what it looks like. Here's David's giving. End of his life, Solomon's about to become king. Solomon's about to build the temple. First Chronicles 29. And the Bible says David was so stirred up to do something for the Lord. He said, I'm not just going to give I'm going to give from my own abundance in such a way it'll freak my elders out. So he starts pulling out gold and silver and precious stones and wood and all this precious metals. I couldn't calculate the value of the timber or the marble or the precious stones, but I can calculate the value of the gold and silver. And I did. And when I got the the modern day equivalent of what David gave just in gold and silver, Guess what? David gave today's equivalent of over $6 billion. (laughs) $6 billion in one offering. No wonder God could point at him and say, love you, Jeannie. Here's a man after my own heart. Blows my mind. That's what the giving of a man after God's own heart looks like. 
his giving was so intense, it inspired his elders and they started giving like that. They pulled it out of their own treasuries. I want you to see something. David didn't pull that money out of Israel's treasury or Judah's treasury. He pulled it out of his own. It was his stuff. He said, it's going to the Lord for the building of his house. And then his elders saw it and started freaking out. And they're like, we're going to give like he's given. He inspired them. He rallied them into giving. Did you know before it was all said and done, just the gold and silver, just the gold and silver of the elders and David all put together over 20 billion, Woo! over $20 billion. <laughs> Man. And I found out when I did the research, because that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And most people cannot calculate really what can you do with $20 billion? Well, I did the calculation and found this out. You could build, and we're talking about they built the temple with this money. Today, you could build Yankee Stadium 13 times and still have $500 million left over. Think about that. You could build Yankee Stadium 13 times and still have $500 million left over. That'll blow your mind. And that's what they did for the Lord their God. They were totally sold out and it brought such an excitement. Whoo! Let, let me, let me, let me stop. I don't want to stop there. I want to show you one more thing about it because I want to show you their mindset. This will blow you away when you see their mindset. The Bible says the leaders uh, of the father's houses made their free will offerings. This is first Chronicles 29, six, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and the officers over the king's work, and they gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron, and whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel, the Gershonite. And then look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly for with a whole heart, they had offered freely to the Lord and David, the King also rejoiced greatly. You know why they were on fire even before Christ came, even before redemption, even before the blood of Jesus was shed before the Holy ghost could indwell them. You know why they were on fire as followers of God because of their love for his house and they proved it by their giving. Whoo, man. Thank you, Chrissy. I'm just telling you, your giving is a proof. But notice, like I mentioned the five love languages earlier in the broadcast, giving is a way that we can show love. See, God's the one that created us. That's the reason we feel love when someone gives to us because we're created in his image and in his likeness. Did you know all the ways that we feel love, God shows love? Spends time with us, personal time or quality time. He touches us with his presence. Acts of service, he's done. He sent his own presence, sent his own son. He loved the world so much, he sent his own son. 
acts of service. The giving of gifts. He gave gifts unto men, the Bible says. I mean, all these things, you start to realize God does them all too. And he receives our love the same way. We can give him gifts. We can spend time in his presence. You understand? We can touch his presence. All these different things. We interact with the Lord and it's proof. See, it's our actions that prove our love. Our actions prove our love. So I want you to see this with me today. We want to stay on fire as believers. I refuse to let my fire go out. I refuse. I refuse. One of the things that we want to do is we want to stay in his presence. Let me tell you another thing. Faithful to church. Faithful to church. I'm going to finish with this one. Staying faithful to the house of God. We're commanded to go. But I'll tell you one thing. When I started dating my wife and she was still living with her parents, I didn't go see her once every week. (laughs) I didn't go see Carolyn once every week. I saw her every day for as long in the day that I could see her. Soon as I was done working at the church, I would leave, jump in my car, didn't even change my clothes. I would drive straight to wherever she was, spend time with her because I loved her and still do, still spend time with her. And I realized if you love somebody, you want to be in their presence. I question, I question people who say, oh yeah, I love the Lord. I'm in love. I'm sold out to the Lord. And they go to his house once every five weeks as the average in America now is. Once I, I question people that say how much they love God and how much they, they're, I'm a Christian and all that stuff. I, I question them when they don't go to church faithfully. I don't believe you. Just like my wife probably wouldn't have believed me as a boyfriend said, oh man, I'm so in love with you. I just want, and I never showed up to, to hang with her. Never wanted to take her on a date. Never wanted to go out to eat. Never wanted to do anything. Just take the credit, Rob. You're a great preacher. You'd have come up with this stuff anyway. Amen, Joel. Thank you. <laughs> I love my friend Rob Conover. We went to Bible school together. Take all the credit, man. I don't mind. You're a great preacher. Um, She wouldn't have believed me. And the Lord knows our hearts, so we can't trick him. But I don't believe it. I don't believe when people say, oh, I'm sold out to God. Be in, be in his house then. Come to his house. You know, I, I can say this freely because I'm not a pastor. I don't have a church. It's, like, it's not like people can watch me say this. Oh, he's just trying to rebuke his church people for not being faithful to service. I don't have a church. There's nobody that I need to come to my services faithfully every Sunday. I'm talking to the Victory Tribe today. Be faithful to the church that you attend. Be there every time the doors are open, Sunday, Wednesday. I'm in church so much. I'm in church almost every night when I'm on the road. I'm in church tons of nights a year, probably well over 250 nights a year, probably. But when I'm home, I don't say, well, you know, we go to church all the time. You know, it's just Wednesday night. It's, it was just Wednesday night. I was in church. I was in church. 
Sunday morning rolls around and I'm home from being off the road. I said, well, you know, we're in church all the time. The Lord will understand if we stay home. I'm on the front row praising God and receiving a word from Bishop or whoever's ministering. You know why? Because I love the Lord. I want to be in his house. I want to be in his house. I want to give. I want to praise. I want to pray. I want to win souls. I want to read his word. I want to be with him. Hallelujah. Amen. Obeying his word. Jesus said, it is how you handle my word that's proof you love me. It's proof you love me. On this Breakthrough Friday, I'm going to pray that God will put a fresh fire and anointing and desire in every one of us to serve him, making the most of these evil days, as Ephesians said, Ephesians chapter five, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. It's going to take on fire believers in these last moments of time. Hey, if we're the remnant, we're the remnant. I know there's a prophecy from the word of God that in the last days, in the end times, many's, the hearts of many will grow cold and many will fall away from the faith. I understand that. But what I'm making sure is I won't be one of them. You won't be one of them in Jesus' name. We will not be one of them. So I want you to bow your head and let me pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I'm praying for every one of your precious people watching today. I pray right now that the mighty anointing of your spirit would come upon us again, fill us fresh and new with the Holy Ghost. Refill us, refill us with the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Give us a fresh encounter with your presence. Set us on fire again. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger for prayer. Give us a hunger for the lost. Give us a hunger to give. Give us a hunger to be faithful in your presence. Lord, make us the strong remnant that will never turn our back on the things of God. We will never make it a hobby. It's not a part-time thing. That we are daily believers. We are 24-7 soldiers of the kingdom of God and will not turn our back on the things of God. We will not become cold. We'll not become complacent. We will not allow our fire to go out. Today, we make a decision to throw fuel on the fire. In Jesus' name, we're pressing in. We receive your goodness. We receive your mercy. We receive your grace. We receive your anointing. And we're led by your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for choosing us. Thank you that you elected us, as Paul said that before the foundations of the earth were laid, you chose us before the beginning of time. We were in you. And so we thank you, Lord, for that. We give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, thank you that the gospel was preached to us. Thank you for the faith to believe it. Thank you that we're in the kingdom of God. We love you, Lord. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you praise. There's none like you, not in heaven, not in earth. In Jesus' wonderful name, we give you glory and honor. And if you believe it, somebody shout a loud amen, throw some hands up, and give God some praise in Jesus' mighty name. Listen, on this Breakthrough Friday, before we jump into the weekend, and before we go into this tent meeting in York, Pennsylvania, let me encourage those of you that are watching to sow that kind of a breakthrough seed like we were talking about today. As God looked at David and said, here's a man after my own heart, and David proved it through his actions. Let me challenge you today. What are you doing in your sowing today? 
that proves you love the Lord? What is it that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to do that is an act of dedication? You're saying, Lord, here's my life. This is something that I've earned through my own time, giving my life, my time in work. What is it that you'll sow today by faith that'll cause a harvest to come back into your life? Hear what the Holy Spirit is saying and obey him. God's speaking to you right now, those of you that are watching, to sow a seed, to stand in partnership with me and with Carolyn as we're doing what the Lord's asking us to do. Here's what I want you to do. Very easy. Go to miracleword.com. We just upgraded uh, on the on the website. You can click and create an account now on the Give page or the Partner Kit page. You can sign in if you've already got one, or you can create an account and manage all the aspects of your sewing, your frequency, if it's monthly, weekly, annually, however you do it. And we say thank you. No matter where you are in the world, you can go to miracleword.com and sow a seed. If you're in the United States, you can use PayPal, Cash App, Venmo. You can use hashtag donate in Facebook or Periscope Twitter, not on YouTube. You can use hashtag donate and sow a seed that way. If you prefer to mail a check, you can go to miracleword.com. Our address is at the bottom of every page on the website if you'd like to do it that way. We love and appreciate you. Here's what I want to do for the month of July. For for those of you that are sewing, sorry about that. We have this uh, powerful book by Dr. John Evanzini, Rich God, Poor God. If you'd like to receive this as your gift for the month of July, we need you to do us a favor. Go to miracleword.com forward slash offer, fill out that form so that we know what your address is to mail it to and how you gave, and we're going to send it to you. And that'll be our blessing to you. Those of you that are sewing largely, and thank you for doing it, we're going to send you a hard-covered edition of Further Faster and the Life Application Study Bible in Genuine Leather. Those that are sewing $1,000 or more this month to stand with us, we say thank you. Yanil said, Brother Ted, uh, for text, it won't accept my number because it starts with 786. No, it'll it'll accept it for sure. It'll accept it for sure. Uh, go to miracleword.com forward slash text and uh, you can fill out the form no matter what. We have texts that come in from the 786 area code. And you can absolutely do that. And I'm, I'm happy to hear from you, Neil. God bless you. God bless you. Well, Carolyn was able to finish all of her sessions for the homeschool uh, series uh, in the first four days. So if you missed any of these sessions, there's four of them total. You can go back and watch the archive. She answers all the questions for people considering homeschool, talks about her curriculum that she's using, talks about tools, tips, tricks, schedule, what she does. You don't have to feel overwhelmed. You can definitely, definitely do this, especially if you're anointed by God, you're full of the Holy Ghost, nothing's impossible to you. So I want to encourage you to go and check those sessions out. And then if you've not gotten a chance to do it, pre-order is already finished. Now they're being printed and you can order the book on our website, shop.miracleword.com. This new 40-day devotional is available and we're going to be shipping it very, very soon. Um, It's going to help you understand the power of faith-filled confessions. You can create boundaries that your enemy cannot cross by your faith. Don't forget, 
My latest book, Further Faster, is also now available. Uh, it's available in the store as well as on ebook. Apple Books, Amazon Kindle, you can get the ebook right now, and uh, I know it'll be a blessing to you. Let me encourage you with one more thing. Miracle Word University, uh, we have courses where we teach you the Word of God. We've put this bundle together um, so that you can get all the courses we've done thus far, and we give you 28% off, so you get one of them for free. It's over 20 hours of teaching, and you have lifetime access. You can watch it on your phone, tablet, laptop, whenever, at your own pace. It'll bless you. All you've got to do is go to MiracleWordU, the letter U, dot com. MiracleWordU.com. You can check it out. You can check out any courses we have available. It's only $69 per course, but if you buy all four, you get it for $199, 28% off because we love you. I want to say a big thanks to everybody that hung with me this week. Thank you for uh, being a part of these broadcasts. We appreciate and love you very much. If you're anywhere close to York, Pennsylvania, come and be a part of the meeting that's coming up next week, Sunday through Friday. All the details are online. We'd love to see you there. It's going to be awesome. Souls are coming into the kingdom. People will be healed by the power of God. It's going to be wonderful. I can't wait to see uh, what's about to take place. Uh, Have a great weekend. I appreciate you guys so much. We'll talk to you again very soon. Have a great one. I'll see you next week. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.